SWD 2016 podcasts. This is all thanks to students with diabetes. I'm giving this as free open podcast to be shared. I'm not expecting anything back for these. Now, as you guys know, you've heard the last couple of ones that we've done. We've had different ones talking about the technology coming out, what's going on in terms of depression and how diabetes can help affect that and what you can do. We got to listen to the awesomeness that is Jim Turner and then, of course, listen to Inside the Actor's Studio where Jim, Austin, and Bo, great guys, have had a chance to be able to go through and give us their insight to everybody who was there, take questions, what have you. Now... On the final day, it was on Sunday morning, we ended up having a special treat where we had former NFL player Jay Lewenberg who came in. He played professional football for about nine years. He was with different teams such as the Denver Broncos, Kansas City Chiefs, Chicago Bears. And then once he retired from football, he ended up becoming a third grade teacher. You know, he's done so many other great things. And in terms of diabetes and the athletic side of it, last year we did have Kyle Cochran from American Ninja Warrior, who was an amazing guy. But for a lot of you who haven't, who are big football fans, and you guys don't think that, you know, T1Ds can actually get into the NFL, it's all a matter of how you feel and that you put your mind to it and that you're not going to let this, you know, take over what's going on. And Jay is a living proof to show that you can do it. And I do want to say a big thanks to Jay for giving me permission to post this as well. When it comes to these kind of things, I don't like to do it without getting the permission. He was an amazing guy, really sweet, especially when I said I'll be giving this out for everybody to use, whether it be diabetes empowerment or the students with diabetes, so this way we could have it up on the website. But I want you guys to take a listen to this. And for those of you who are sports fanatics and are T1Ds, listen to what Jim has to say. I think it's going to help. Check it out. He played for the Chicago Bears, the Indianapolis Colts, the Cincinnati Bengals, and the Washington Redskins. Uh, So you got there's lots of fan um, in this room. And uh, after leaving the NFL, he worked uh, for a time in media, and now he's like the super coolest teacher for little kids ever, right? So let me introduce to you uh, Mr. Jay Lewenberg. He's one of us, guys. nothing else away from what I'm going to say it's you can do whatever you want to do now you can't go about it recklessly and you have to obviously take some steps but I think that arguably playing in the NFL is one of the most physically strenuous jobs that you can have Uh, still can't get in the military that's the one job that they won't let me and that makes sense because if you get captured in war they can withhold your medicine and they will kill you. So that makes sense. So that's the only job that I know of that I am not allowed, or you as a diabetic are not allowed to do. 
but I think it would be important that I kind of tell you about my journey. That I grew up in St. Louis, born and raised, and have zero family history of diabetes at all. And I know that many of you share the same story. I have an older brother who does not have still diabetes now. Um, so I had all the typical signs. Uh, I was going on a family trip uh, in Missouri. There are a lot of rivers, so we we're gonna go on a canoe trip. Well, on the way to the canoe trip, I had an unquenchable thirst. So much so that I drank two cases of soda on the way to the canoe trip. And so by the time we got there, there was no drinks for anybody else on the trip, and they all wanted to kill me. So about a month later, uh, I took a family trip to Oregon. So we took a plane, and I drank all the orange juice on the entire flight. And I was still thirsty. And finally, I got taken to the hospital. They thought I had mono because I was super, super lethargic. I had lost a ton of weight. Uh, I've always been a big kid, uh, well, man too, that uh, I lost 36 pounds. And as a going to be eighth grader, that was a lot, a lot of weight. So, I went to a, a hospital in Astoria, Oregon, and my blood sugar was around a thousand. And so, as soon as I got my first shot of insulin in the hospital, my dad said it was like somebody turned on the light switch. Is old Jay was back, and so it was amazing to me at that time. My only choice of insulin was a beef pork mixture, meaning they literally took the pancreases of cows and pigs, ground them up, pressed them out, and that's your insulin. And so obviously, uh, with the Humalog and the Novolog now, and then the long-acting Lantus and other long-acting insulins come a really long way. I also, the only way to take a blood sugar was to pee in a cup, and then you took a little strip and then it changed color, kind of like litmus paper. Uh, the darker it was, the more sugar you had. Well, that wasn't very effective either, and many of you have the continuous glucose monitors. And, uh, for me, I'm still very, very old school. It's hard to get me to embrace the new technology as I still prick my finger and uh, take a blood sugar. But instead of it taking three minutes, it takes five seconds, which is awesome for me and all of you. So then, I had three days in the hospital to learn everything there was to know about diabetes. So obviously, as you all experience on a daily basis, that's an impossibility. It changes every day. And I knew even then that I had to play sports, that I, had, I was athletic, I always was outside, running around, being active. And so the number one priority for me and my parents at the time were what can Jay do and be safe because to make sure that he can participate in sports. So one of the most helpful things for me, and if you haven't done this, it doesn't matter if you've had diabetes for 30 years or if you've had diabetes for three weeks. My doctor said, 
you need to go out and basically create your own controlled setting of what does your body feel like when you're going low and what is it and how does it react and really identify the signals that your body is telling you and this ended up becoming literally a lifesaver for me being in the nfl so i went out with my brother and one of my best friends to a basketball court and took a blood sugar and i was like 180 something and started playing basketball every 15 minutes i would take a blood sugar and track how my body was feeling so i got down to where i was 40 and I figured out, okay, wow, I, I, I understand the stages that my body is going through and the signals that I've missed because I had to stop every 15 minutes. And for me, that was an incredible experience. One, knowing that I had the ability, if I just took the time and cued into my body, that, okay, so I'm feeling like I'm a little bit more out of shape than I should be. It's harder for me to breathe. Well, that was at about 80 on my blood sugar level. So I wasn't technically low, but because I had dropped 100 points so quickly, I knew that I was actually having symptoms before I had registered on my blood test that I had a low sugar. So that was an incredibly powerful experience, one that I felt like I could control my diabetes and my body, which still today there are times when you don't feel like you're totally in control and, and kind of have this thing figured out. Um, so that really served me well in the fact that as I then progressed and started playing football, that I was shocked by the lack of knowledge from the medical staff. That the assumption is I went on to play Division One football for the University of Colorado. So you always see that they have tons of doctors on the sideline, in the training room. We probably had 30 athletic trainers and probably five team doctors. Not one of them knew a darn thing about diabetes. I was their only diabetic that was ever on the team at the University of Colorado. And it ended up that I had to educate my teammates, my trainers, the doctors, and that was daunting at times because my job, I thought, was to go get an education and be a really good football player. Well, in order to do that, I had to make sure that I was safe. So I had to come up with ways that I could do my best, but also have the support I needed. And so you need to advocate for yourself that there are enough people that are diabetics that I don't feel like Outwardly, I was discriminated against, which a lot of people I know feel that way. And I've heard hundreds, if not thousands of stories about people that just don't know. And so when you're afraid of something, you tend to treat that person or that situation in a negative way. And my hope is and was, if I tell you, hey, I am a diabetic, this is what is J. So, the University of Colorado, it was, you got the whole deal. And so this is how I need your help. It doesn't matter, now that I'm a third grade teacher, I've taught three diabetics, how can I best help 
Will, Caroline, and Catherine, one of the three diabetics that I taught, how can I best help them? Because everybody's different. There's not a right way. Um, so started playing high school and football, uh, football in high school. My freshman year was my first year. Um, my, as I mentioned, my older brother was two years older than me. So his senior year of high school, he was the captain of the football team. I did not make the varsity team my second year because my brother and I would have killed each other. And uh, he's also a big guy and was very good. So I didn't even start playing at the highest level in high school until my third year. Part of the reason that's important is not everything, especially when I see it in these littler kids that I teach, you have to be year-round soccer. You have to be year-round in Colorado lacrosse is huge. Or you have to go and travel for skiing. You don't have to do just one thing. And I think that it's really important that that also applies with your care. I've tried the pump. I've tried a continuous glucose monitor. They don't work for me. And I think that's all about me rather than the technology. If it works for you and you are healthy and you can do what you want, then do it. I personally like what I perceive as the freedom of being able to just take my little black bag over there and get my insulin pen and take some insulin whenever I want. I'm very comfortable with that, sometimes too comfortable. Um, so all my third graders know that I have diabetes because I go, oh, hold on, I feel like I'm not myself when I'm teaching and I'll take a blood sugar and I'll go, okay, I'm good. That I've always been open about it. So my junior year, I was pretty good in, in high school. Then my senior year, I started getting recruited by a lot of schools. Um, and it was a little different back then that I would get letters in the mail that didn't have text, they didn't have email. so. I would have coaches come in and essentially interview me about, well, why do you want to go to this school? And it's pretty interesting. One at the time, so I graduated high school in forever ago, 1987, and there was a stat that if you, and I played offensive line, so if you don't know much about football, those are the really big guys that protect the quarterback and pretty much just beat up people every play. And so I've actually lost about 70 pounds since I was playing. I'm still a really big guy, like too big. Uh, it's kind of a constant for me in my health is I need to continually exercise in order to try to lose some weight. But at the time, if you were an alignment at the University of Notre Dame and you went and you were a starter, 100% of the time, they would go to the NFL. And it was an amazing statistic. And so I started to have these dreams, these aspirations of, eh, maybe I could do that. Uh, still really young in my career. Well, I ended up getting an infection in my left fourth toe, because when I get athlete's foot, I get a little crack in my foot. Well, that infection ended up going into my bone. And as a diabetic, I really didn't appreciate I was told you're gonna lose your foot. And I was on antibiotics intravenously for six weeks 
my senior year of high school and was not allowed to play football. And the University of Notre Dame stopped recruiting me. And I was really, really mad because I really wanted to go there because I wanted to be the best that I could be for the best team. Well, thankfully I still had my foot and everything turned out okay, but I didn't understand because I was too young and, and didn't really hear that it wasn't because I wasn't in control of my diabetes, but the way I think of it is all these little microorganisms are on super steroids. If your blood sugar is 150, which is awesome, at least for me, if I'm 150 all day, I'm rocking. I'm thinking things are good. Well, that extra little 30 points on your meter super feeds the little bad guys that were eating my foot. And so I took it as you're a bad diabetic. You are making this worse. Well, there's really nothing I could do about it. Is I was as in control as I could have been, but it was a real eye-opener of, wow, anything can happen and I might not be able to play football anymore. And so the University of Colorado came out and actually were watching me, I, I wrestled in high school, and I, we went to the, before we, I wrestled, we went to the state playoffs and the guy I was going against was all everything. And so the University of Colorado was recruiting him and I played really, really well and pretty much kicked his ass. And so the coach from Colorado went back to the school and told the head coach, you know, that one guy, Mario, and I ended up playing against him in the NFL also, so he was really good. They said, but oh, we really ought to recruit the other guy. And so I took recruiting trips to Vanderbilt, to Stanford, to Colorado, and then I canceled my trip with Iowa because I decided I wanted to go to Colorado. Um, so fast forward, that I made it through high school, I was stupid. Um, I had a phase where I just thought, I've got this all figured out. And so I just determined that me and I have a, a group of friends, still friends with them today, that I'm gonna go out and all we're gonna do is eat pizza. We're gonna get the cheapest soda you can. So it was, the, I don't even know if it was like Big K, I think it was called. Um, and occasionally they'd let me get a diet. Um, but then we, and we couldn't afford Oreos, so we got Hydrox. So, spent about four bucks and got as much food as you could. Well, after about three months, went in, got my A1C, and my doctor, at this time, it was just for me, and my parents would take me there. But my mom's name is Jan. My, my doctor says, Jan, you leave. And my doctor looks at me and says, if you want to try to kill yourself, there are faster ways. Now, what are you talking about? She says, your A1C is 16. That means that you're pretty much not taking your insulin and you will die. Um, took me down to the dialysis ward and said, this is what's going to happen to you if you continue. So it was another really poignant moment in my life where I had to figure out did this path make sense and is this what I wanted? And clearly it was not. 
And so you can make mistakes. You don't have to be perfect and just be safe when you do it. And that was a really, really impactful moment for me. And so that helped me in my journey. That um, one of the things that many of you um, either already have or potentially will is uh, dabble in, are you gonna drink or not? And that was a really big part of that football culture is going out and drinking after the games. And so I had to figure out, how am I gonna deal with this? How am I gonna make sure that I can wake up the next morning? Because you kind of hear about it, but it's absolutely true. If you get really, really drunk, your friends usually are right there with you, and so they don't know if you're acting stupid because you've had too much to drink, or because you're having a low blood sugar. The way it was explained to me that again, it really hit home is, once you reach a certain point, your body stops digesting your food and says, I need to get rid of the alcohol that's in your body. And so what happens is I used to think, well, all I'll do is just, I'll just eat a lot when I go out drinking. And that's true to a point. But then your body says, uh-uh, I have to get rid of the alcohol, so I'm not even gonna digest the food that you ate. That's when you get in trouble. Because your body, the alcohol is still working. You're not thinking straight, and now your body says, I'm gonna get rid of the alcohol before I digest the food. Well, you've already taken your insulin. Your insulin's gonna work no matter what. So that's where you get into trouble, is that insulin is still working and then your body has changed its priority of what it needs to do. So that's where if you have enough to drink that you pass out, your insulin's still working, but you're not getting in the food and that's when you can go low and that's when you can get into real trouble. So make sure if you're gonna do that, that one, you're safe and you do take your blood sugars, two, especially for me, I take long acting at night and in the morning, cut down on that long acting, is wake up and be 300 and feel like absolute death because you're already dehydrated from drinking and then you're dehydrated because you have high sugar, but at least you're gonna wake up. And that is my experience and I think that it's important to know that, you know, that's a choice that you're gonna make or not make and that's, you can do that, but do it safely and make sure that you're able to live to talk about your adventures. Um, but that was that was an important lesson that nobody ever told me. I had to kind of figure that one out on my own. So I went to the University of Colorado, and I'll speed way ahead, that my sophomore year, uh, which happened to be my third year in school, not because of academically, but there's a thing called being redshirted. Um, I was actually not considered big enough when I went to the college, so they had to get me in the weight room for a year, and all I did was eat and lift weights and get in shape. So my third year, we were really good. We were 11-0, leaving the University of Colorado, and we got to play in the national championship game against Notre Dame. The same head coach that had stopped recruiting me 
because I had diabetes. So I was fired up. And so, and we actually played Miami. So we were going through an amazing year. Uh, a lot of things happened. There, there have been lots that have, uh, it was the 25th anniversary, so we, I did a lot of media stuff for it this year. Uh, but there was a 30 on 30 on our head coach, a guy named Bill McCartney. Um, I was fortunate enough that year. Um, all right, that's the next year. So that year, our quarterback died. His name was Sal Nessie, and he died from stomach cancer. Totally a shock. He was diagnosed and dead within a year. And another one of those moments in your life that, wow, you know, football I love, and, and it's going to get me a lot of places, but it's not the most important thing. And so we dedicated the season to him. And so at 11-0, went down to the Orange Bowl, thought there's no way we were going to lose. We ended up losing to Notre Dame 21-6. to And we were pretty devastated because we thought we had a better team. The next year, since I got redshirted and the other guys that were recruited were not, they were all seniors and I was a junior. Well, we ended up playing in California and we tied our first game. Then we barely won, then we lost. So we were one, one, and one. And then we started, uh, we went down to Texas and we beat Texas. So we were two, one, and one, and we went to the University of Missouri. And only at the time, the second time in the history of football, again, for those of you that don't know much about football, you're only allowed four downs per possession until you get a first down. Well, we got five. And I was a center, so I snapped the ball for all five of those downs. So happened that we scored the winning touchdown on fifth down with no time left on the clock. So just a little bit of controversy on that. So I was, it, it's just an amazing, when I think back to these kind of things, it's almost like I'm talking about a different person. That, But it was an unbelievable time that, I get to say, hey, yeah, I snapped all five of those downs, and, and it was awesome. So go through the season and go through it at the time, the big eight schedule, and we're undefeated. So we are ranked fourth in the country, and we get back into the Orange Bowl, are invited to play Notre Dame again. They're ranked number one, we're ranked number four. So then this year we play them, and we beat them 10 to 9. And so, um, so that's my junior year. My senior year, uh, we had graduated a ton of guys. And the way that the NFL works is they draft you. And I'll not go through that whole process, but it's very interesting the whole way they determine if you're good enough or not. Well, I was a two-time All-American and really thought that my stuff did not stink. I thought I was the man. And the draft comes, and eight other players out of college were drafted at my position before me. So I really had no idea what the heck went on. And so I was really confused. I was also really, really mad because I, at this point, knew that I was a really good player. Well, come to find out, all those players that had graduated the year before I asked them, I said, so why 
didn't your team want me to play for? Why didn't they draft me? Well, two of my ex-teammates that happened to also be linemen like me said, well, our medical staff blacklisted you. And I said, what does that mean? I said, well, because you're a diabetic, they said they will never have you play for their team. And that was the very first time that I really understood me being so open about my diabetes that some people view that as a negative. And so part of my mission was to prove everybody wrong that, okay, I might have diabetes, but I can still play football and I can still be safe. I never missed a down practice or of a game because of any complications with diabetes. I ended up getting drafted by the Kansas City Chiefs, who not coincidentally had the only other type 1 diabetic in the NFL at the time on their roster, a guy named Jonathan Hayes, who happened to go to the University of Iowa, one of the schools that I was thinking about going to. He was diagnosed much like one of the other now famous NFL players, Jay Cutler, who has type 1, but he was in the NFL already and diagnosed type one. So they, they being the Kansas City Chiefs were already kind of stuck with him. And so they had to work with him. I don't think it's a coincidence that that is the only team that took a chance on me because they've already had a diabetic on their team and he didn't fall to pieces. So tried out for the Kansas City Chiefs, thought I had made the team and I got traded to the Bears. So on, Tuesday at about five o'clock, I was called into the head coach's office. He goes, well, congratulations, it's actually the GM, not the head coach, he was there. But he said, congratulations, you made the NFL, but it's with Chicago Bears. And I said, uh, how'd that happen? And so they said that Chicago had an injury so that they traded me. Here's your plane ticket, you need to be ready to go tomorrow at eight o'clock in Chicago. So I played my first four years in Chicago, and they had never had a diabetic, and they had a training staff and a organization that's very, very old school. And what I mean by that is they're very entrenched in their ways, and they were successful in 1985. They had won the Super Bowl, and so they still had 25 players on their team from that squad. Mike Ditka was my head coach. And pretty much if you were if you're a tough guy and you were ready to go brawl, then nothing else mattered. Well, for me, it, it did. And so Chicago was an amazing time. One of the things is I had to find a doctor. I had to find somebody that would help me with my diabetes. Well, the very first doctor I went to told me, well, you can't play in the NFL. I said, what? He goes, well, you're a diabetic. And, and, you're, you can't play, so I look and I say, great, there's no way you're gonna be my doctor. And so it was another opportunity for me to go, you know, just because they have a degree and just because they went to school does not mean they know anything about diabetes. So it was another example of me having to make sure that I had what I needed. And one of the things that I did is, it was actually here in Tampa, because way back then before they realigned, Chicago was in the same division as the Tampa Bay um, Buccaneers. Well, in December, coming down here and it's 85 degrees, I thought that I was gonna just wilt 
It was so hot. Well, one of the things I started because of that game is I would always take a blood sugar, and I was my own continuous glucose meter, is I would take up to 40 blood sugars per game. And so what I do is I wore gloves because as a center, when I snap the ball, if I get nicks and cuts on my hand, I bleed. And the quarterback really doesn't like to have a football that's got blood all over it. And so I cut the, the pinky finger off my glove. And I would always use that finger to take blood sugars after every series. And the way it works in football is you go out for pregame, and you're supposed to just kind of get you ready and warmed up. Well, I went out right before pregame, took the blood sugar, and I was 330. And I'm like, oh, man. That's right for me on the edge. If I get much over 330, then I'm going to be borderline ketoacidosis. And then it actually is exercise. I get more of that sugar that's in my body, and it makes me go higher. And so it's a real fine line. Well, so I go out for that 10-minute kind of glorified walkthrough knowing I need to get rid of some of this extra sugar in my body. So I'm going to go a little bit harder. Um, it was hot as heck, and like it always is here. Go back in after 10 minutes and take another blood sugar, and I'm 80. And I'm like, oh, crap. So I, they have uh, Gatorade bottles, like the, the squirt bottles. And so I created Jay's Goo. And what I did is they have these big packets that they, they put the powder into the big coolers, and then they just pour the water in and they mix it up and that's what you have on the sideline. Well, I put about half of my bottle with powder and then half with water. I kind of mix it up. It's kind of like a syrup. And so the problem that I had is once I'm low, I'm still going to go out there and I'm still going to participate and I'm still going to be very, very active. And low is the tough one to, to fight. And so I'm trying to maintain my blood sugar the entire game. Well, I have this bottle of goo, and every time out, they always run out there and they give you water. Well, I made sure that I had my goo. Well, it was so hot, everybody had drank all the water, and I had put tape around the Gatorade bottle so nobody would drink it. And so I was playing right guard at the time, and so my right tackle was like, dude, why can't I have that one? I said, yeah, that's my goo. You do not want that. He's like, yeah, forget you. Gets it, squirts it in his mouth, and throws up. And he's like, okay, I'm not going to have that anymore. Because it was like drinking syrup. or So that's one of the ways that I maintain, besides taking the blood sugars all the time, uh, is I always made sure that I had something with me. Uh, it always used to make the other guys a little bit ticked off because I'd always make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and have them at halftime. And they're like, dude, how do you not get sick? And I'm like, well, because I have to eat. Um, so I ended up playing four years for the Bears. And then I was lucky enough that I got to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, went to Indianapolis. And for about 30 minutes, and I'm, this is not actually an exaggeration, I was the highest paid center in the NFL. So signed this contract with the Colts. Um, agent and I were super, super happy. And then about 30 minutes after I did that, because well, you're now like the fourth highest paid center because three other guys just signed bigger contracts. Still amazing time. Um, 
one of the things that people like to hear about, and, and I think it's interesting, is so my third year in Indianapolis was Peyton Manning's rookie year. So I was the center for Peyton his rookie year. And he was not very good in his rookie year. He threw 34 interceptions and 32 touchdowns, and we were 3-13. and 13. So, and we were 3-13 and 13 the year before. That's how come we got to pick him. So I did not have the best luck with the teams that I was on. So I had the four years with the Bears. Mike Dickey got fired. Then I had Dave Wanstead. Then I went to Indianapolis, and before I even had my contract dry, the head coach was Ted Marchabroda. He got fired, and they brought in a guy named Lindy Infante. Then he got fired, then I had Jim Mora. Then I played a year for Cincinnati, and it was Bruce Coslett was the head coach. He got fired in the middle of the year, so then they brought in another guy named Dick LeBeau. Um, who still is now the defense coordinator for Pittsburgh. Then I went and signed a free agent contract with the Washington Redskins. North Turner was their coach. He got fired. So in my nine years, I had about 10 coaches. So uh, it was a great, great career. And I've got um, so many amazing stories and, and people that I met and opportunities that I got to have because of the NFL. But I couldn't have done it had I not been healthy, had I not been lucky that I didn't get injured. And as much as anything, I had to keep my diabetes in check and healthy. But it was hard work and a lot of time and effort spent on how do I make it to where I can, my job was my body. And so I had to make sure that that I had in check and fine too. And it doesn't matter what you want to do, as long as you find that support staff, and for me it was my doctors, my trainers that had one person that was dedicated to, okay, hey, I need this now, and so when I say I need something to eat, it's not because I'm hungry, it's because I'm going low and I need something now. And as long as I had have that set up, I was good. And so having in place what you need, whether it be, I'm gonna do a triathlon, it doesn't matter if you're a diabetic or not, making sure that you have planned out when you're gonna eat during that thing, because that's important. Well, it's even more important if you're a diabetic. Make sure that you do the little things like take a blood sugar. Is well, I'm pretty sure I know what I am. You know, I feel, make sure that you're, that you're right. Um, if you have that continuous glucose monitor, Read the damn thing. It's, I know, I, because of the last two, it becomes a ritual and, and you get lax. You're a human being, that's what you do, is you don't want to do the little things. But one of the, the negatives that I say about diabetes is, you don't get time off for good behavior, is you can be awesome and really have everything going great then for me, I, I turned 40 and, well, I didn't change anything, but why are my sugars all jacked up? It, well, your body changes. So it's constantly monitoring yourself and making it to where you can be your best and feel your best. And so however you do that, make sure that you just, you check in.
Um, so one of the, the biggest challenges in my after football life was my job was, as I said, to exercise. And so I retired from the NFL in 2001. Uh, after my last year in 2000 with the Redskins, went to the University of Colorado, always wanted to get back to Colorado. So I signed a free agent contract with the Broncos. And the short version is the position coach that coached the offensive line actually had a son that played at the University of Colorado. And he saw me in college and he thought that I wasn't very good. And so as long as he was the position coach for the Broncos, he said, there's no way that I will have you on my team. Well, he retired, thank God. So I signed my free agent contract in 2001 and was going through training camp and I was doing really, really well. Two weeks before the end of training camp, he came out of retirement and was the offensive line coach and the very first day he walked into the offensive, meeting, offensive line meeting room and he went, what are you doing here? And I, went, uh, I thought I was gonna make the team. And so I went to Mike Shanahan and I said, there's no way I'm gonna make the team. You need to just let me go. And so he didn't, and I, and I understand why now, but I got cut. So I was healthy. Uh, I have two daughters, neither are diabetics. Um, they're now a junior in college and going to be a freshman in college. And the junior, her name is Cora, had just started kindergarten in Denver. And so her life had, she was born in Indianapolis, spent a year in Indianapolis, actually two years in Indy, one in Cincy, one in DC, and then we moved to Denver, because I really didn't feel like moving her again. And I had another younger daughter also. So I determined I'm gonna retire. But when I retired, I didn't want to exercise. And so it was a real battle for me because exercise helps level my sugars up. If I go and I don't exercise, I yo-yo a lot more with my blood sugars. That there's a thing called a lag effect. That if I go and I exercise, it doesn't matter if I lift weights, if I ride a bike, if I get on the treadmill, do yoga, whatever it is, not only does it help me at that moment, but it evens everything else out the whole rest of the day. So even if you're in great shape and you like the way that you're feeling and the way that you're looking, exercise is huge in order to help maintain that blood sugar level. That it's not just right then that it helps you, it helps you throughout the day. And for me, because I love food, that's super important because I like my bowl ice cream. And so I know that, uh, but I'll make sure that I need to make sure that I exercise. Um, so I've been a third grade teacher the last 15 years. Um, so in 2001, after about three months, I determined I have to do something. I can't just sit around and be a bum. Not a real good role model for my two daughters. So I went back to school for a year and I got my alternative license and certification in elementary education. Uh, started substitute teaching and I applied for a third and fourth grade job at the same school my daughter was going to. And I got hired for a third grade uh, teacher and I've done that for 15 years since. Uh, still have not ever 
had to go to the hospital. Um, I've actually not ever had to have a Vicodin shot. Been close. Um, but I think it's because I really, really pay close attention to what's going on. I still, on average, probably take 10, 12 blood sugars a day. Um, I currently am only taking injections. I take long-acting and short-acting at breakfast. Then I have a sliding scale for lunch, depending on how much I eat and what I'm doing. Then I take Humalog again for to cover my dinner. And then before I go to sleep, I take another long-acting. Um, one of the things for me after 34 years of having diabetes is I'm starting to become a little resistant to the insulin. So I take a lot of insulin. And so it's one of the things that I'm hoping uh, that the technology will continue to improve. Uh, I've taken for a little bit, there was a, there was a drug called Similin, which is supposed to help with the way your body absorbs and uses the insulin. So it lowered my use of insulin a little bit, but I also didn't feel like I needed to add four more shots to every time I was taking an injection, so I felt like a pain cushion. Uh, so I don't take that now. My last A1C was 6.9, which is good for me, but as long as I can stay under seven, I'm pretty happy. Um, I had a while there that I was getting into the 7.2s, 7.3s, and just needed to tighten it up a bit. Uh, and that was mainly because I wasn't exercising as much. Um, so, I have no idea how long I've been, oh goodness, alright, so I really do want to be able to uh, take any questions because I've got, I've got 34 years of stories and in particular playing with diabetes, things that have happened that, I don't know, I thought were kind of funny, um, and other things, but I really also want to just congratulate you guys and hopefully have you ready to go out there. And I know some of the things that you're going to do later today and that you've done the last two days to help you guys just have that healthy lifestyle, that healthy habit that you can do these little things that make a big difference. So I really want to congratulate you guys for being here because I never had an opportunity to meet with another group of diabetics. And I think it's awesome. And I think if you do nothing else but rather just talk and know, hey, I'm not alone, I think there's great power in that. I also think that super important that, you know, you can be a Miss America, you can be an NFL player, you can be whatever you want to be. And diabetes does not have to be an excuse on why you cannot do something. If anything, use it to help you get to where you need to go. That some of the things that will help you be healthy will also help you in life. And I believe that. And I think that I wouldn't have been as good of an NFL player if I didn't have some of that discipline, some of that de desire to make sure that I was taking care of my body. Um, I saw plenty of players that had a lot more talent than me athletically, but just didn't have the ability to take care of themselves, and they just ended up either eating themselves out of the NFL, drinking themselves out of the NFL, or they didn't train either running or weightlifting properly, and they would get injured. And I think all of those things helped me 
be successful in who I am today. So what I want is I would love to have anybody, there are no questions that are off limits, and I'd love to hear what questions that you guys have for me. And, and I will absolutely do that. I also, I have to give a little bit of a plug. I wrote a book, and it's called Yes I Can, Yes You Can, and then the subtitle is Tackle Diabetes and Win. And so after the sessions today at 11 o'clock, I'll have them out in the front area there, and they're 20 bucks each, but uh, I'll tell you lots more stories uh, about whatever, but there's some fun opportunities that I was given because of the NFL, and um, I have to share one. My first start ever was a left tackle against Lawrence Taylor, and so that was amazing. Then I was, and I was playing left tackle because our left tackle got injured. So the seventh game of that season, they said, wow, Jay, you did such a good job. Our left tackle's healthy, but our right tackle's not been playing very well. So we're going to move you to right tackle in game number seven. I'm like, okay. Oh, and you're going to go against Reggie White. So my, my first start at left tackle, which I've never played, was against LT. My seventh start in the league was at right tackle against Reggie White. And again, for those of you that don't know, they're both Hall of Famers and arguably two of the best players that ever played the game at their position. So uh, just had some amazing experiences. So any questions, anything? All right. Uh, great story, Mr. Chair. Um, so you mentioned that you And so I'm wondering when you've had your low moments and when you know everything seems stacked against you, um, what do you do to turn it around? And, and because you've had such a successful life, right? And so um, what do you do to bring yourself out of that and to, to push forward? Well, one of the things that I think has helped me is really early on, I used to think of, and it's called a blood sugar test, is I used to think of it in terms of there's a right number and a wrong number. And so I really have changed my thinking about if I go after this and I, and I take my blood sugar and I'm 360, I used to really beat myself up. Because I used to really think, God, I did something that I shouldn't have done. I you know, like somehow internalize that I'm a bad person. And I really changed my thinking to where it's a tool to make it to where I can be healthy. And thank God we have that technology that I don't view those numbers as good or bad. I use, I use them as information. And I think that was a big shift in the way that I thought about it. And in particular, as I was younger, my mom would go ballistic and, and instantly think, well, what have you been sneaking Food-wise, or and so there was also that dynamic that I had this adult that is loving and caring and want the best for me, and how could I just be so stupid? That that wasn't the case. So what really helped me was to understand that okay, maybe I'm coming down with the flu. Maybe I'm really excited about something, and hormones and stress and, and stress is not always bad. But if I had a midterm or a final and I really need to do well on it, sometimes that would raise my blood sugar. 
sometimes it would lower my blood sugar. I have found out if I'm going to make a big financial decision, I will always go low. Always. So I just know that about myself. So when I'm having one of those times where, God, you know, I've been really working hard to, to make sure that I kind of get back on track in, in diabetes-wise, and almost always for me, it's that dynamic between the food and the exercise. Is almost always for me, it's because I've made an excuse on why I'm not going to exercise, and it's not that tough for me to figure out, okay, if you don't like the way you're feeling, or you don't like the way that things are going, what can I do to change it? And it's been really helpful for me, is it's not a huge change that one of the rules that I use is it's got to happen three days in a row. So if if I'm taking my blood sugars and every three, the last three days, I'm 300 plus after breakfast, then I'm going to adjust my insulin or I'm going to change what I eat. So those for me are the, the subtle little changes. But if I had the yogurt with some berries, my four cups of coffee, and whatever else, and then if I have something that's the same amount of carbos and the same, and one day I'm 300 and one day I'm 150, I'm not gonna sweat it. As long as I don't stay at 250, 300 for days, you're not gonna have those long-term complications. So I've learned to really chill about trying to micromanage myself so I don't instantly change everything I do. Because then you don't know what works and what doesn't. You have to have some sort of routine. So I, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, thank you. Hi. Um, so I know that like you work out a lot of times with drop kick your blood sugar. And um, if you're trying to bulk up, sometimes having all these little blood sugars can hinder that. So what kind of tips do you have to, to you know build muscle without constantly going low all the time? Well, I was actually uh, accused of using my insulin um, as a human growth hormone, because it technically is. And so if I would, and I, I actually wasn't this smart at the time, but it makes sense. Um, if you take just a little bit too much insulin, it actually forces you to eat because you're low, which actually made me get bigger. And so I would almost argue that going low, you have to treat it. So if your goal, it depends on what your fitness goal is. For me, I have just the opposite problem now, is I want to lose those pounds. But I always struggled, by the way, gaining weight. I graduated high school and I weighed 220 pounds. And while in college, I gained about 15 pounds every year. So I graduated college about 265, 270 pounds. And the NFL wanted me to be 300, 330 pounds. And never did steroids because I already knew everything that diabetes potentially can damage in your body, your, your kidneys, your liver, um, your cardiovascular system are exactly what steroids totally jack up. 
yes, you'll get huge and you'll get stronger, but it also put a lot more stresses on those organs in particular. And I, it wasn't worth it to me. Is I always felt like it was cheating. So the answer is, in order to, to bulk up, is you may have to just tweak your insulin a little bit. And there are so many good routines. The internet is awesome. Because I remember I had to buy, it was a bodybuilding book that was about that thick by Arnold Schwarzenegger. And it had all these lifts in it. And so I just read it and I go, oh, okay. That's how you get stronger in the bench press because that's like important to them. Plus I had full-time strength and conditioning coaches that would also try to help me. Um, I personally think that just make sure right after a workout, one of the things I've currently, currently been like the last two years, is set a glass of milk after you're done with a heavy lift and that will help put some of that muscle on your body is you need to feed those muscles. The other thing is rest because what you're really doing is you're tearing those muscles down and then when you get bigger is when they grow back and they recover. And that's actually what steroids do is it helps your recovery time more than anything else. Um, so I actually, I, I teach high school or coach high school football now also. And so that's one of the things that I'm always talking to my players about is hydration and also making sure you put good food in your body. Don't just eat to eat. And that's one of the problems I had with being low is I would tend to only eat the sugar because I just, I hate being low. I hate the way it feels. So there are little ways that you can change what you're eating to fight those lows that can also help you build some of that muscle. So there, yeah, and there are a lot of people that know a lot more specifically depending upon your body and your needs. But you know, I don't care if it's a 24-hour fitness or your local gym, or there are a lot of people that know a lot of things. Now, if, just like me with the doctors, if, if you're not liking or it's not working whatever that support staff for you is saying, change. Thank you. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna sit down because those lights are killing me. <laughs> Um, I'm actually an athletic training student, and a lot of my friends, they're working in the field right now, and they'll come and ask me, they're like, oh, I have a type 1 athlete, and I want to know, like, everything, help me and stuff, and I want to know, like, I see, like, a lot of my professors or my friends that work in the field, they're like, they tell me these stories, they're like, oh, you're like a good diabetic, because I've always dealt with, like, bad diabetics. I'm like, there's no such thing as good and bad diabetics, and so I feel like that, like, causes a lot of like friction and butting heads with the athletic trainers and the athletes. So I want to know if like you felt like that with your athletic trainers and your medical staff and which level did you feel like that was the most, like either high school, college, or professional, did you feel like that was the most friction? Well, I think it, it, I've had, not high school, high school, I was really, really lucky. Um, I still am in contact with my head coach from high school and he happened to also be, uh, he taught health in high school, and he also was an ex-offensive lineman, so, um, and just a great guy. So he was really, really helpful and supportive of me. And so I had no friction in high school. Um, in college, it was interesting because I just was shocked by how stupid they were. That, and, and the other thing that I really learned is I'm 
really, really lucky in the fact that I know thousands of diabetics that check their blood sugars off as I do. They exercise regularly. They do, quote, everything you're supposed to do, and they have a really, really hard time regulating their blood sugar. And it's really, really frustrating. And sometimes that's when being on a pump, being on a continuous glucose monitor can really make a life-changing difference for them. And if you are somebody that, as a diabetic, is just having a hard time for whatever reason, there are so many different ways that you can manage your diabetes and be healthy. You just gotta keep plugging at it. And so it's not about being a good or a bad. It's sometimes, it, the analogy I use is there are smokers that can smoke three packs of cigarettes every day and they never get lung cancer. Now, they're a lot more at risk, but they just genetically don't get cancer. Now, would you ever say, hey, go keep smoking, that's good for you? No. Same thing with diabetics, is there are diabetics, I could end up having neuropathy in my feet or my eyes, could start to, my vision could be going bad, and I could have, quote, done everything I'm supposed to have done. And it's not a reflection on if you're a good or a bad, is I just know that the odds are a lot more in my favor of not having complications that tighter my control. And it makes me feel better. So I hate when I feel like I've had a 12 pack of beer and it's because I've been 300 and I can't get that darn sugar down. I also really hate the feeling of being low because once I come back, I feel like I got hit by a Mack truck. I mean, I just want to go take a nap. And the other thing is my symptoms for my low blood sugar about every seven years change is, you know, I would, thank goodness, when I was younger, I would get ravenous. I would always be hungry when I was low. Then I had a stage where I'd get blurry vision and I'd go, whoop, I must be low. I had, I had one where my fingers and my toes would go numb and I'm like, ooh, that's weird. And, and I would always be, always be low. I had one where my tongue would actually go numb. The worst one that I went through was I felt like if I ate, I puked. And that was horrible to go through because I knew I had to eat something, but I felt like I was gonna throw it up. And so I actually changed what I used to help me get my sugar back up. Is I Kind of my go-to is Skittles because they don't really freeze and they don't melt and they don't go bad. Uh, but during that time when I felt like, oh my God, if I have another Skittle, I'm gonna puke, is I just, I drink something. Usually it was a Coke or a juice, but I just hadn't changed. So I guess that whole, you're a good or a bad, and I think a lot just depends on the person. And the other part that I've really learned is just because I'm, I like celebrate, hey, look at me, I'm successful and I have diabetes, that's not for everybody. Is just because that worked for me, maybe you are a really quiet, introverted person and you don't want everybody to know your business. That's okay too. But just make sure that you have that one person that can say, hey, uh, you know, Jay, you're acting a little goofy. Maybe you should take a sugar. And so that was helpful for me to have at least one of those, or for me, kind of my five boy 
friends growing up that always have my back. All right, well, I think that we will hold any of the last questions for later on when they're hanging out and come find you. But thank everybody, let's thank Jay.